When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The Welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Science, the show that breaks down the science of television and movies with a comedian and a scientist. Today, we're discussing Look Who's Talking To. So I'll ask about babies learning to talk, walk, and use the potty. Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. They're actually a pretty dynamic duo who joined me to discuss Look Who's Talking a while back. Uh, And just like that whole cast, they're back here for round two. We've got an assistant professor of public health at the University of California, Irvine, Dr. Christina Uban, and stand-up comedian, Justin Shefford. Thank you so much for having us, Ethan. Greetings. Good to to talk with you again, Ethan. Thanks for having us on again. Absolutely. Good to have you both on. It's been quite a while. Um, So I have have kid questions up the wazoo for you guys. I hope that's cool. That's our deal. We've got kid answers coming out the wazoo, so we should match up nicely with this. Okay, great. Well, I mean, before we get into the film and all this kid stuff, uh, I was reading, uh, Dr. Uban, your lab, and of course, I know exactly what this means, but I'm trying to just, you know, for our for our listeners, help them. Your lab utilizes non-invasive biomar- biomarker methods to measure the health of Physiological systems underlying the brain-body connection in children, adolescents, and adults affected by fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Did I get that right? Yeah, correct. The non-invasive part refers to the fact that we're not drawing blood. um, We're not really doing any intense procedures. Uh, We often just have kids or anybody spit in a tube. We call it passive drool, and we collect saliva. And then we do a lot of things with saliva at our Institute for um, Interdisciplinary Salivary Bioscience Research at the university. And we can measure all sorts of things from saliva. And the beauty of that is you don't need a specialized person like a phlebotomist to go do a blood draw. It's not as scary. And now I think during the pandemic, a lot of people have realized the magic, the power of saliva. You can bring it to people. If someone's too sick to leave their home, you can bring it to them. If it's a a classroom full of kids that are hard to get to all those individual families or get them in the lab, you can bring it to them. And we know, all of us know that when you walk into different contexts, you, you feel different in your body. And that's a physiological change. And so if you're bringing everyone into the lab to study their physiology, well, you're only studying physiology in the laboratory context. So we feel like with salivary bioscience, we can have ecological validity, meaning we can study your system in all different contexts. 
like my husband at home. I often make him spit when he wakes up as a test pilot for my studies. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, he signed up for it. You know what I mean? If you're if you're dating or married to a, a doctor or any sort of scientist, you're going to be experimented on. That's protocol. Yeah, the first spit is for fun. The second one's for science every day. It's actually, it's kind of fun to be a part of it. And, you know, um, also it's a good way to kind of, you know, uh, see what your levels are without having to go to the doctor <laughs> and, you know, keep an eye on things and, and also be a part of something bigger. So it's pretty cool. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm glad you guys are here to discuss this movie. Now I got to say for right off the bat and I, and I want your take on it, of course, but for me, look, who's talking to suffered a little bit from let's call it sequel itis. I don't know if that's the proper medical terminology but i know they just turned around and made this movie right away once they saw the first one was a success it was like the next year it came out which is pretty unheard of but yeah i just i, I remember loving that first one especially re-watching it and we were talking about it and i was very excited and then this movie had a lot of the same stuff it was very silly but for some reason didn't hit me the same way and i wanted to see how you guys felt about it I'm going to go ahead and jump in and agree with you, Ethan. I uh, I watched this movie when I was a kid. Now, I'm actually curious. You were talking about the turnaround of time. I'm wondering if there is a quicker turnaround in movie in movie history of Ooh. a year. Um, I'm curious because it was 1989, Look Who's Talking came out, and then this came out in 1990. Yep. Um, and um, from what I understand, they that TriStar had – you know, negotiating the contract that the, that they make the second movie in. Apparently, the director was not thrilled about it, so um, it kind of it kind of showed. Uh, I feel like in the second one, um, yeah, very rarely is there a sequel that's as good or better than the original. Um, I, I can only think of Sister Act two um, for me personally as one mm -hmm. of my favorite sequels. Great call um, that, that that outdid the first, but. Uh, um, this one was like a surrealist piece from beginning to end. It was just super, <laughs> it was crazy. And I remember watching it as a kid and uh, I guess I would have been nine uh, when this came out. And mm -hmm. even at nine years old, it was, some of the scenes are horrifying. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say they're scary. Like the Mel Brooks as the toilet thing is kind of scary to me. Sorry. S so scary. And then the opening scene where it's like stuffed animals grow fangs and like have red eyes. And it's oh like my God. puppet master, like totally off-putting uh, to oh. open the movie off. <laughs> Great call. I could not believe that sequence and how early it was in the movie. It was really scary. Yeah. It was like, like, yeah, the the prop department. I mean, props to them because the it was, that was effective. You know, somebody told them make some scary, devilish puppet stuff, and they came through. Yeah, I read that it was the same people that did the uh, uh, the fly. <laughs> Whoa! They 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 did the baby, and they did the toilet, and they did the uh, the the scary, horrifying stuffed animals coming to life in a dark room, which I think is just about every single kid's worst nightmare. You know, totally. likes hearing stuff in the room, and it's like, wait, wait to bring that in this kids movie <laughs> about babies. <laughs> We're gonna open with that. I couldn't imagine if you're like a, a, a you know, young adult, uh, you know, newly uh, new father, new mother going to the movie theater to see this cute movie, and then you're just terrified. The kids probably crying. Uh, that could have been yeah. right there what turned people off right away. I think so. 
for me anyway, I remember watching it as a kid and I, all I remembered was Damon Wayne's character was my favorite part. And mm-hmm. the, uh, the toilets and the puppet stuff scared the crap out of me. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. So definitely the scary stuff feels like it's a good reminder that little tiny babies, toddlers, and children, you know, they perceive their surroundings very differently than us grownups. So when we set up a beautiful crib and we think it's very warm and welcoming, you know, we have to remember that that's not always going to be perceived like that at different developmental stages. And even your most intelligent house pets, you know, they're navigating intelligence levels, you know, at a similar level um, as a toddler at the best. (laughs) And so, you know, when your pet acts really oddly too, it's a good reminder that it could be anything. It could be a weird curtain moving that they, their imagination just runs with it and fills in all of these gaps. So that was really fun. That happens to my cats all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're just kind of stunted. Like, what are you looking at? Those house pets are stunted at uh, human-toddler intelligence levels. How can I... Can you just give me a few quick tips on how to advance my cat's uh, intelligence? Because I really want to have full-on conversations with them, and I don't know how to do that. (laughs) I think you have to enhance your own psychic capabilities. There you go. That's the secret. How do I do that? Is there something specific I should eat, or how do I do that? Maybe just try to talk to them under full moons. Ooh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Great. <laughs> Not very sciencey. That's okay. Hey, listen, I'm open to anything. As long as I can, you know, have more of a relationship with my cats, I would love it. Um, <laughs> speaking of the beginning, they they kind of repeated themselves with the intro sequence where we're seeing uh, the inside of a human body and you know sperm coming to the egg and the whole the whole nine. Which I was again, <laughs> I guess, just surprised that maybe because they were flipping this thing so quickly and trying to get it into the theaters. They just said, like, let's do the same crap. We'll do some more voiceover jokes. I don't know. But it yep. was surprising to see basically the same uh, the same sequence. So, and, and you know, obviously I get there's another baby coming and stuff. But, but yeah, what, what did you think, um, Christina, about that, that intro sequence? Like, did anything stick out to you as really inaccurate? Or is that kind of how it works? So at the time the movie was made... I would say is fairly consistent with our understanding of how uh, conception happens. Now we know that uh, we used to think of the male as the default. So you would have um, an X, an XY, and that's all that it took to take a male. Um, Or you have an XX and that sperm is what determines the male or female. And that was really, I think, our, our understanding at the time that that was made. Now we know that First of all, biological sex 
uh, is a spectrum. And then gender presentation is this whole additional thing that also is a spectrum. And there is, you know, increasing amounts of science behind understanding that. So one example is we know that there's a testes determining factor, um, also known as a sex determining region Y or SRY protein. So we actually need some kind of additional level activation to get a full biological male phenotype or a full biological female phenotype. It's not as simple as a, a X from mom and a Y or a X from dad. And so our, I would just say that I think that that's very fascinating that we've come very far in our understanding <laughs> since that yeah. movie was made. Yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, that's, that's where this, yeah, that's kind of where this whole spectrum comes from. We don't just have males and females. We have m- multiple different variations of this and they're a lot more common than you would think. And your genetic makeup, you know, then you have additional variations or phenotypes of your gonadal presence. If you look if you have testes or what are your genitals look like? What is your presentation? And then actually your gender presentation is this whole social construct that is separate from your biological sex at birth. So I, I, it's just interesting to reflect on um, our evolution since, since the making of this movie. <laughs> I feel like something, if I could jump in, I, I think something that scientifically hasn't changed is that uh, the Beach Boys are always playing whenever sperm enters. <laughs> That's um, correct. And they do uh, like to converse with each other and compete as they make their way um, to the egg. Um, and then reaching the egg, I'm pretty sure that there is a lot of, oh, yeah, hot mama, let me in, hot mama. That's that's the words <laughs> that were happening when that sperm was entering the egg. And, uh, again, just another off-putting moment for me a little bit. And they, <laughs> so, had, breached, they had breached the diaphragm. You, you know, that's in that scene, there's a there's a diaphragm that she's wearing um, as, you know, female contraception. And I'm like, oh, is that why nobody ever that why is that why I never took off? Because it's just it doesn't work at all. Like, is that the efficacy of diaphragms? I, I'm actually I have no idea, but I'm just curious if that's where all of us 80 babies came from. First off, I'll completely agree with you and say it was a terribly off putting uh, moment in this movie I really hated that and I don't know if I'm just like grossed out at like human body stuff maybe that's part of it but yeah just the hot mama talk of the sperm breaking in yeah. I could not stand yeah. I was like looking around the room I was by myself looking around the room <laughs> like am I the only one feeling this awkwardness um, but uh, your your diaphragm question is great and uh, since I'm never the one to answer anything like that let's ask Dr. Uban yeah, so I actually just uh, went to double check. And uh, if you combine a diaphragm, uh, apparently also known as a cap, with spermicide, they can actually be 92 to 96% effective. So, you know, Ooh. if you have someone using a condom very poorly, they never, nobody really showed them how to do it and they never bothered to YouTube it or something, um, you know, you might get more efficacy for pregnancy protection with a diaphragm and spermicide than poor condom use. Um, but obviously, nowadays, we have pretty good methods of wide range of birth control that are, you know, going to be close to, not, you know, 99.9% effective. So, hmm. but yeah, I mean, 90, I mean, 92 to 96, I still wouldn't, if you really did not want to get pregnant, I would, I'm still not satisfied with those numbers, <laughs> but they're pretty high. Yeah. yeah. And we well, can all agree that spermicide is just a really dark term 
right? I mean, they seem pretty fun-loving, and, you know, they were dancing around and having fun together, you know, and then all of a sudden, spermicide, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. it. They're all wiped (laughs) out. Yeah, you know, we need, to see, we need to see more of that in the justice system. I want to see people on trial for <laughs> spermicide immediately. This needs to stop. Um, I mean, is there is there a uh, method of you know something that that you would recommend instead of these methods, like something that's the most efficient, I guess, or uh, uh, you know, effective? You know, there there's all sorts of family planning or family preventing methods. <laughs> and, you know, and so, you know, all the way from um, timing. So just tracking a cycle. If you have a regular cycle, you can track your body temperature in the morning. And that's actually very accurate. If you don't oh. have intercourse during the time where there is not an active, you know, an egg to be fertilized, you're not going to get pregnant. Um, so there are different things. You can, Obviously, a combination of two different things are going to probably be the best protection if you combine two different things. Um, Mm. But if you're going to want to have sex at any given time (laughs) and you don't want to do any, you know, this planning, then I think it really depends on each person. There's, um, there's copper IUDs, intrauterine devices that aren't hormone based. If you're concerned about hormones, there's hormone based, you know, IUDs nowadays, there's chips you can implant in your arm. We still have Deprovera shots and birth control pills like we did when this movie came out. Um, So I I think really it it depends on the person and what is going to work for their body. And then obviously Mm -hmm. if two people can do planning together, then you could really prevent it. Um, okay, so wait, what about these scenes of the, the baby or the fetus in the actual womb? Because that was another, I don't want, it wasn't as disturbing as the devil puppet or hot mama talk, but I think it was still somewhat disturbing for me. I don't know how you felt about it, Justin. I, I mean, again, the guys that did The Fly, which I loved that movie, you know. Sure. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have done that one on your on your podcast yet, but a, a, a great, a great movie. But I mean, they did a, a, such a great job with the makeup, but you know, as far as the, yeah, the womb scenes where the, where Roseanne's bars voice is in there. And like, it was just super odd because it's, it, again, it felt surreal, right? It's like, like the stuff that nightmares are made of the baby's eyes were all black and stuff. Right. Like that's the one thing that really got me. And, you know, I guess they had to have enough room to fit the camera in the womb. Right. I mean, how else are you going to, get that get that shot but it seemed like there was a lot more room in there i think they insinuated there was a lot more room uh for roseanne Barr's uh baby character than i think there actually is in a womb so uh but yeah of course you know she's got her you know in some of those scenes she's got the umbilical cord you know wrapped around her neck again this is Mm -hmm. like traumatizing stuff for some you know parents totally stuff Um, That's, that's what i was thinking as well you know, and they don't really and address I, it. Everything just comes out fine. Yeah, it's all good, right? So, uh, but you know, that is why people have to have, you know, and, and our mothers have to have C sections, um, is you know because of that very same reason, right? So, um, you know, you're they're kind of like joking, like having her, you know, in this like very serious situation that could like cause the baby to lose its life. She's like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing around my neck there? Like huh? That's not right. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy that they're like going down this avenue as a plot device here to, you know, uh, uh, 
have her have a C-section and stuff. So I, I don't know. Again, it just kind of feels like, you know, the director, like, sure, I'll give you your movie. You know what I mean? Like, here, I'll give you, you know, I'll turn around and, and bang something out for you, you know, one yeah. year later. So, but yeah, it was very creepy. The, the, the baby in the womb. What, what do you think, doctor? Yeah. So just as a reminder, about one month in to uh, fetal development, that, you know, collection of cells that is becoming and growing into a fetus is still just the size of a grain of rice. So it's quite extraordinary that you go from that to eight to nine months later to an actual newborn baby size. That's how, you know, if you think about the exponential rate of growth and then any given week of pregnancy, you know, different things you do every time you choose a healthy behavior, that's a huge opportunity to influence quite rapid growth rates. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's so much, you know, we never grow to that degree. We only slow down as after you're born. Um, The other thing I wanted to say about the eye color is that usually by around six months of age, um, after a baby is born, six months postpartum, that that's when you really have a good idea of their actual adult eye color. So you you wouldn't be able to look at a fetus in utero and and determine their eye color. So again, I think this is an, another nice reflection from the field of um, you know developmental uh, physiology is is how far we have come. You know, babies in that third trimester, especially the second half of the third trimester, so much growth is going on in the central nervous system that if a baby was born too early on in that third trimester, they didn't really have a high survival rate back when this was made. However, now today we are having, we can handle premature babies. Um, We can, you know, recreate the womb environment, you know, for the first couple months after they're born and make sure that things are extra protected around a a baby born premature versus full term, uh, full size. And, and so there's a lot of things going on. So around C-section, I think, again, the same thing applies. We have a lot more tools to intervene and still aim for a vaginal birth um, versus a cesarean. We still have a lot more tools to kind of get a vaginal birth as the outcome. Back in the day when this was made, if you had a C-section and then you had another child, you would have most certainly had a second C-section. Nowadays, there's something called a VBAC, is a vaginal birth, you know, after C-section. So um, nowadays, we we just have come along way in obstetrics and tools and our ability to monitor both mom and the fetus to be able to navigate when a C-section now is the optimal outcome versus going wow. for a vaginal birth. So um, sure, I don't think, I think we would involve the parents a lot more in that determination nowadays than what happened in the movie. But, um, and then, you know, right after birth, there's a huge change in maternal hormones. Mom, you know, has a huge surge in cortisol, which is the highest um, uh, occurring level of a stress hormone to induce labor and delivery. So then mom has a huge dive or, or decrease in her cortisol levels. And we used to focus on mom and her own hormonal fluctu- fluctuations as explaining postpartum blues, which 80% of women experience, and then all, obviously a more severe postpartum depression and uh, very common in the postpartum period. Now we started looking at dads and after birth, 
dads experience a drop in testosterone <laughs> and dads are experiencing huge surges in, oxyto in oxytocin, which is a neurochemical that is really essential to forming really important pair bonding um, mm. between two individual mammals. And so, so we know that dad is experiencing all sorts of things when baby comes out too, even without going through the actual delivery himself. Wow. It's fascinating. I, I wanted to bring up, there was something I thought the movie did kind of get right and I thought was actually really cool uh, of them, which is that they kind of, in, in a subtle way, they continuously harp on what it's like to be in the workforce with a child or being pregnant. And, you know, without trying to like hit you over the head with it, it's not part of the, you know, overall plot necessarily. But, you know, every 20 minutes or so, they kind of find themselves in a situation where, you know, they're, they're really, they're pressured. They're really, you know, hounded by a boss for, for ha you know, bringing a kid to work or for just being pregnant. And, and, you know, she's pregnant in a scene where she's like going into labor and it doesn't seem like anyone cares. And so I just kind of wanted, you know, both of your thoughts on that and maybe how that has changed or I don't know, potentially gotten worse since this movie came out since 1990. That's such a good point. So uh, honestly, I couldn't even look at, I know that my role was a scientist. It was hard for me to watch. Look who's talking to, trying to pick out pieces of the science because I was so concerned with that part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And so having gone through it, so I did my doctoral training up in Canada. And so a lot of my, my friends and colleagues, you know, get three to six months of paternity leave, maternity leave, and both partners get it. They use it up in wow. all sorts of in, interesting, um, creative ways. And, mm. and so just maternity leave is the worst in the United States out of all developed countries. This is true across the globe. We have the, we support new families, particularly new moms, the worst. We are the lowest scoring country in the world out of all developed countries. We, we don't have it figured out. Um, and it's it's completely messed up all the way to if you work for a high hourly rate, what you may not know is that if, you're, if your state is even one of the fraction of the US states that offers disability, which not all states do, even if you live in one of those states, you may not even be aware that your employer isn't even taking out disability tax. So when you go to use it to get some kind of 55% of your income back for six to eight weeks, it wasn't even being taken out. So I know lots of people in that situation that thought they would get some kind of income. So this is a real issue. Um, this is, it's a huge, so mom, first of all, should be uh, healing, bonding, working on, you know, milk production if breastfeeding is a goal for her and her baby. Um, there's all sorts of things that they're supposed to be doing and we don't support people in doing that. And we don't support the partners in also supporting the, the mom in doing that. So, um, we are so backwards in that. I can say that my PhD advisor, um, who is in her 70s, when she was doing her PhD, there were she had kids and there was no childcare options. Nowadays, when I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship, I actually had some childcare options so that I could continue, you know, working on my career. And and this brings this is rings true across all professions, but. So we have childcare. So we have a huge step forward in that there are childcare options. The problem is they're super expensive. <laughs> How right. can anyone afford that? So I think that's what I would like to see in the U.S. is more maternity leave, more paternity leave with pay 
um, you know, supporting the, the employment institutions in not losing money when they offer their employees those things, and also making childcare really accessible to people. Um, good childcare, not the kind where you leave and you are like have PTSD from dropping your child off there, you know, right. but like a good uh, childcare you can feel good about. Um, so, and you can see it in this, this, um, in this pandemic. I mean, women are dropping out of the workforce like none other. There's this extra responsibility on this early role of mom um, in the relationship to the children that, you know, we still see this di dichotomous divide in families. Um, so this is a huge issue in the United States. And if people think that this is just how it is, it's not. You can look at any other developed country and they, they're way more advanced in this than us. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. You know, in in, the, in this movie, look who's talking to, you know, there's a scene where he's, uh, where uh, James has Mikey in, in his taxi cab with him. And he's driving around with his kid in the front seat, picking up customers, right? And like, well, next time don't bring, you know, and then he pushes the button and then they don't get the, the fair money. Right. And he's like, no man, it was more of my kid. He's like, well, don't bring your kid to work, you know? And mm -hmm. then, um, and then Kirstie Alley's character has again, has him, has Mikey at the office and the boss comes in. I think he says something like, what is that? This is not a daycare. This is a workplace. And you know, this guy's just totally, they're like playing up on workplace misogyny. Right. And, and this like, um, unfair treatment towards parents, like, that they don't deserve equal treatment because they decided to have kids or like different treatment. Right. And, um, I I'll just say this, like I've seen, you know, to this day, I think a lot, a lot has changed, you know, since 1990, obviously, um, you know, cause this was supposed to be, you know, as a comedy movie, but it didn't really play like comedy. It's like that. These are some like concerning scenes that like make you feel uncomfortable as a parent, because we've all been there where we had to take our kid with us, you know, somewhere like on a work trip or to work or something because daycare fell through um, or because you can't afford it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but as far as like, you know, uh, fair treatment, you know, I'll just say I won't say any details specifically, but I have seen, you know, Christina have to fight for, um, uh, you know, equal treatment because she was denied to be able to apply for a grant or I can't remember what it was. Christina, but, um, something because you had been on maternity leave. And I remember, I remember you over, I, I remember walking in on the phone call and hearing you say like, well, how is that fair? Are you, you know, just because I'm not a man, what about the males? You know, like they don't, they don't have to be pregnant. So that's unfair treatment. So, you know, a long winded answer is it's still alive. <laughs> Misogyny and mistreatment and, um, you know, in, in the workplace, especially when it comes to, to parenting. And so I just second what Christina says. Other countries, Norway, Scandinavian countries, they get a year off. Mom and dad get a year off because that time after having a kid, it's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy. You know, and they touch on it in this movie. It's like, you know, um, n not to change topic too much, even, but like they're, the, you know, moving forward, there's a scene where they get in like a, kind of a small fight, you know, after the brother comes in. And John Travolta just, he just bounces. Like, he's just out. He's like, all right, I'm leaving. Like, oh, for you're for like, for real, for real leaving? <laughs> like, and then like, 
two thirds of the movie happens and he's just like out and about, you know, um, except for when he shows up to, to dance at a daycare. Yeah, like it's all good. He's apparently having a fine time. It was very abrupt that he left as well, I got to say. I was like, wow, really? He's going to leave? Okay, just had a kid. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't have children, so I'm, I can't speak for, you know, personal experience. But I, I will say it's just really frustrating. A lot of times on the pod, we'll have scientists come on and, and you know, there's a lot of issues that seem to be asked backwards, especially here in the States. Um, but, but a lot of times people have different opinions on them. You know, if, if people don't want, if they don't believe in climate change or if they don't think it's our fault or something like that, it's like, okay, I can see how it must be hard to get legislation passed, et cetera. But with this, it's especially frustrating because we all, you know, it, it, we're all keenly aware that pregnancy is tough. And having a child is tough. I mean, nobody can possibly debate that. It's like, you know, we've known this since ancient times. So not to be able, you know, to, to pass any uh, maternity leave or paternity leave laws that actually help people out is really astounding to me. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just thought that I, I, I imagine that it wasn't much different than how they're portraying it in the movie still today. Yeah, well, so Ethan, I think that's interesting. There is maybe a bit of a divide. I would say if you are the employer, I don't, why would am I like, what am I losing? I can't hire, I can hire someone to replace you, but then you can get your spot back at, you know, you know, six to 12 months. And I'm, do I have to pay you? I have to pay your insurance like that, you know, the employers, you know, sometimes, especially if it is something that is hard for them to afford, you know, that there is a real sacrifice from the employers that they're making financially. And so if, we can have programs to help employers not take that financial burden. That is one way that other countries do it that we do not really do. California does uh, paid family leave. Um, but again, if you are, you know, taking one job over another because the hourly rate is higher, well, guess why? Maybe it's because your employer is not paying you disability out of your checks. And so it artificially makes your paycheck look higher, but you don't get the same benefits down the road if you know that you're going to want to cash in those benefits. Also, it only pays you 55% back of your previous year's um, uh, taxable income. So you're still not getting 100% of your normal monthly income. So it's always a financial struggle. I mean, it's hard to, how do you save up when you're living paycheck to paycheck, um, like so many people are. And then even the shittiest healthcare, you know, situations out there are expensive. <laughs> so, you know, this idea of, leaving your kid to go back to work. And I'm going to be totally honest. It's really hard. Like if the, the image that you can have your career and be a mom at the same time, is kind of bullshit unless you have a ton of money because right. I, unless you can afford tons of childcare or someone to come clean your house or someone to do stuff that you could do if you had enough time, it is, you are working like motherhood or parenthood, sorry, Justin, like parenthood never, ever stops. But this idea that you can be at work, I used to pump at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, and I would have to go wash out my pump in the shared unisex bathrooms, and then store my milk in the shared refrigerator, or my own personal cooler that I would bring, and then I would take the LA Metro back home. I mean, that's like, there was no pumping room. There, There is now. Uh, but there was not when I had my kids. And you know, just this access to pumping room. Okay, great. You got me a pumping room. Now I'm supposed to breastfeed and do my full-time job in the same amount of time and not try to worry about my kid in this like kind of, you know, 
shitty childcare situation, which is the only one I can afford at the moment. And you feel like you're working to afford to be able to have someone else watch your child and you are going in the red constantly. And it's just, it's super stressful. Um, And so other countries do not always, you know, deal with this. And so again, this is something that I am sure all American parents can really relate to. And uh, and to end on a, a light note, I also wanted to briefly discuss Yiddish because Molly's mom in the movie calls James a schmendrick. Uh, if you were confused by that, a schmendrick <laughs> means a jerk. It's not a good thing to be called. And if you want to use some other Yiddish words, you could say bubkis, which means nothing. Like what the uber rich are paying in taxes, they're paying bubkis. Uh, a goy is a non-Jewish person, so that's kind of cool if there's multiple non-Jewish people in the same room, you can say goyim. Uh, there's a bunch of them. Look them up. Uh, it's really fun to say Yiddish words. It's a great language we need to keep alive. You probably already know some of them, like schmooze or uh, punum or schlep. Uh, but yeah, mensch. My, my yeah. mensch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which, which describes both of you. So I'm glad that you came on the show. <laughs> I wish we had more time. I hope we do another baby movie. There's, there's plenty of them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, if there's something you want to tell people about, uh, or, or how to follow you, et cetera, please do. Um, yeah, Justin, should we, uh, we've been working on the FASD project and it is on YouTube. It's, uh, stands for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And there was a community of activists, uh, people living with FASD and parents, and they wanted to bring awareness to FASD. And then uh, I enrolled my husband, the comedian, Justin Shepard, in a small production company to do an awareness video. And then the pandemic hit. And then the Rand Corporation came out and said, guess what? Pandemic drinking, everyone. Alcohol industry has deregulated alcohol sales so you can get it delivered to your door. You can leave those restaurants with alcohol in your hand like you could not do before. And when we did shut down, the alcohol um, stayed open and people were drinking more than they ever were drinking before. So we had pandemic drinking. So now high doses of alcohol are what cause, you know, um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And now we had just people just trying to cope and this alcohol industry very being very active and alive. So go check out the FASDproject.org. It's also on YouTube. It's a 16-minute video to learn all about FASD. And it's going around film festivals and winning awards. Anything else, Justin? Yeah, I just I'm gonna just piggyback on what you said, Christina, and and make it what we what we're trying to do is make this information um accessible to um the U.S. again, much like um, paternity and maternity leave, um, we're we're behind on this one. Um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder we know affects one in twenty people, and uh, that's what we know. But it's very hard to diagnose, and it is a spectrum, right? And so, um, I think Ethan, you know, it's worth noting for for anybody who's listening to this that um, this is going to be one of the next big talking points in our country. FASD is both scientifically, medically, and societally, um, because it has such an impact on our on our overall um, society. From uh, as we were just talking about, from taxes um, to pregnancies to the homelessness, sex trafficking, um, our prison inmate numbers, our mental health crises that we're in in our country, it is all intrinsically tied to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And so we're trying to get the word out as the parents came. Uh, uh, a group of parents came to us, and um, uh, it's three times as prevalent as autism and spina bifida and Down syndrome combined. 
Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to help raise awareness on this topic and it's right now, um, one thing I want to plug is the FASD Respect Act is in uh, currently undergoing legislation uh, in Congress. And so if you don't know about this or you learn about it and you get um, excited to be a part of helping, please write your senators and your and your legislators, your representatives and help push this Respect Act through um, so that we can get help and and funds to those out there living with this disorder. Um, and also if you don't know about it or never heard about it, like Christina said, the FASDproject.org. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. We made a uh, short film just kind of describing the ins and outs of it. So great. Um, and hoping, hoping to get it out there. Awesome. Everybody go check it out immediately. The FASDproject.org. And, uh, who doesn't love a short film? Uh, you know, it's definitely, I can already say going to be more enlightening and and more educational than look who's talking to uh <laughs> and it's going to take up way less of your time and then you'll be informed and you'll know what's going on uh so seriously thank you both uh i it's a delight to talk to you as always and i hope we do it again soon thank you ethan. likewise ethan thanks for having us on